0: When um, when I was getting ready for today, I uh, I was looking across. Uh, I was looking at a whole number of different things related to uh, to growing spiritually, and and I found a great statement by um, uh, Robert uh, uh, oh Robert Hester, who is at who is at Baylor. University. I want you to hear what he said. He said, the goal of, of spiritual growth is clear, to be more like Jesus in our character. Biblical writers compare this process to familiar experiences like the development of an infant, maturing as an adult, a plant bearing fruit, or exchanging old clothes for new. In any case, the idea is that change deep within is possible, and such growth results in us being more like Jesus himself. But it is not easy. And then he adds, what kind of world would we be living in if more and more people were concerned and committed to being the kind of person Jesus Was Well, we have a glimpse of what that world might look like, don't we, in Acts chapter 2. Because one thing we can say for sure is that that early church they were devoted to, they were committed to growing in their faith, growing in their relationship with Jesus knowing more about the power of his resurrection, being filled and equipped by his spirit to go forth to bear witness and to bring forth the produce, if you will, the harvest of a world transformed. As we continue this image, this this examination of what it means to be a passionate church, we must become a church that is passionate about spiritual growth. And we need to understand that um, such growth is not automatic. It doesn't happen by osmosis. And we don't grow simply because we're here, no matter how many years we've been here. We will not grow simply because... We've chosen a place to serve like the choir because no matter how many hymns we might sing or great anthems we might sing, that alone will not mold us in the image of Jesus. Doesn't matter how many mission trips you've been on or even Bible studies that you've taught. Growing in faith, maturing as a believer, is a conscious decision, a a commitment to put myself in the place, in, in uh, in the position where God's spirit may continue to mold and redeem and sanctify my spirit within. For ultimately, spiritual growth is the work of God. And if we're going to do that, let me just say, there are no seven steps to spiritual growth, okay? There are no easy formulas for spiritual growth. But I would like for us to consider this by considering five fundamental and very familiar questions. Because the answer to those questions will reveal whether or not we are in a place where God's Spirit can grow within and change the man or the woman that we are. So let me begin with this question. Are you willing to make a new commitment to a life of prayer? If spiritual growth is the work of God's Spirit, then there is no way that we're going to be formed spiritually unless or until we are intentional about the time we spend in communion with God. The people, the, the, the people that we read about in the scriptures that had such an impact, one common denominator is that there's stories of them, how they were committed to prayer. Abraham praying for Sodom. Moses praying for Israel. Hannah praying for a son. Joshua praying for, for guidance. Solomon praying for wisdom. Joseph praying for understanding. Peter praying for a vision. And he goes on and on and on. But ultimately, you and I have to decide what, is, what kind of prayer life am I going to enter and commit myself to. There are so many things that need our prayerful attention. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for God showing us, revealing to us the things in our lives that need to be changed. We pray for comfort and peace in those dark nights of the soul. We pray for for wisdom and discernment when we're making tough decisions. We pray for our friends, we pray for our families, we pray for our enemies. The scriptures call us to pray for the leaders of the church, for leaders of government. We pray as Jesus did in all things for God's will to be done. We pray about the big, we pray about the small. As Paul said, we pray without ceasing. It is an ongoing, intentional conversation with our Heavenly Father. My question is, are we going to give God that 30-second lip service before we eat or that 30-second glance before we meet or are we going to commit ourselves to a deeper level of prayer in my life? And in the life of this congregation. Here's the second question Will you make a commitment to be present? Now I realize that's probably not a good question to ask this time of year with school almost over, summer fast approaching, and all of us have probably our vacation plans already laid out. But nevertheless, we need to ask ourselves, is our pattern of worship a reflection of my commitment to being in God's presence with God's people, or is it merely an act of convenience when there's nothing else going on this weekend in my life? I'm not going to start quoting scripture about, how we must meet together, anything like that. But I can tell you for sure why I need this time, why it's the most important hour of all the hours in my week. I need to be in worship. I want to be in worship, not because I'm the pastor, but because I need each week a fresh vision of God's nearness, of God's work in my life. I don't know about you, but I've had weeks where I I get so distracted by so many demands and responsibilities and surprises that sometimes it just seems like I'm about to be swamped by some tidal wave of events. But when I'm in worship, I truly feel what Isaiah felt, seeing the glory and the majesty and the holiness of God all over. I see it in the Psalms. I I see it in the sacraments. I see it in, in, in the family that is here. And I really need it. Because I'm going through an interesting season of life. We all know that. And, and, And I have sort of found myself swamped with the woe is me's. And I'm tired of the woe is me's. What I want is to know that in every change, God is still there. And oh, is he alive and well and leading, and and making his purposes unfold. I find that every time I stand in this place. I need to be present. Because, you know, know, I need to know God's in control, but I need the support of my church family, and you do too. I need to know, be reminded that none of us journey alone. That not only is God with us, but but we got a whole family walking with us through life. My church family encourages me, they affirm me. Sometimes they challenge me and they always hold me accountable. And I may be the only one in the room who feels this way, but I know in my life I learn better, I grow more when I'm not isolated, but when I'm in a group like this. Will you make the commitment to go deeper and to be more fully present here? All right, I'm going to step on toes. Will you make the commitment, a deeper commitment to give? You know, we've read it for four weeks now, That early church, they shared everything. They didn't hold back. Now, last week I mentioned joyful generosity, so I'm not going to recant that, but I will say this. It's been my observation over many, many, many years that all too often God gets our leftovers. Whatever we haven't spent on everything else... That's what God gets. When I look at the biblical lessons about giving, beginning in the earliest days of Israel, God expected the first and the best. Here's my question. Are you willing to commit yourself to giving God your first and your best? Or is he gonna get whatever's left over? For myself, giving the first prioritizes everything else in my life. And I need that structure. But I also give because in giving, I'm making a clear statement Lord, I trust you. Lord, I'm willing to offer this back to you. I'm willing to let go of this because I believe that you will supply more than enough. As Paul said, my every need. Lord, you've entrusted me as a steward of your riches, and I'll trust you with helping take care of my life. I give because I want to more fully live out the words to Abraham of how God has blessed us to be a blessing. And I want the joy of, being, of knowing that my life is a blessing to someone else. Are you willing to make a deeper commitment in your giving? How about a deeper commitment? Are you willing to make a deeper commitment in the ways you serve? Jesus made it clear. Whoever wishes to be great among you must become the servant of all. Paul makes it clear in the Philippian letter when he declares, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but who emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. We read the New Testament, and what we discover is that all of us are given by God's Spirit certain gifts. They're not all the same. Some gifts are out front. Some gifts are are behind the scenes. But the New Testament letters remind us that there's a place of service, there are opportunities of service, and everyone has a gift with which to serve. Now, those gifts and opportunities may change over time. But the fact that we're called to be servants of Jesus never changes. I so love the words of, um, of Paul in his, um, in his letter to the Romans. Listen to this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to, to each of us. But if your gift is prophesying, prophesy. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Doesn't that sound kind of like Nike's slogan, Just do it? We all have gifts. Are you ready to make the commitment to use your gifts for Jesus' sake and to serve him? Well, here's the last question. Will you commit yourself to being a witness? Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. Now, I realize <clears throat> when we hear the word witness, uh, sometimes we we get all anxious about that because we've all had our own experiences with, with some of the witnesses of people and their means of witness and what they try to do. Well, let me say this. Witnessing is not just standing on a corner carrying a sign and barking at passing cars. Witness is not just... Confronting a person and asking, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Being a witness doesn't necessarily mean pulling out the four spiritual laws or reciting the Roman road of salvation. They all can be a part of that. But ultimately, being a witness is allowing the presence of Jesus and his love to be revealed in all that I think, do, and say. Ultimately, being a witness is is showing, uh, showing God's love and daring to share the why. Ultimately, being a witness is making the decision that this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine. The church has for too long been a silent witness. It is time that our voices, that our message, that our hope be heard wherever darkness dwells, wherever hurt exists, wherever the lost are found. But that won't happen until you and I can answer those five questions and make a new commitment to follow Jesus. William Booth was the founder of the the Salvation Army. And when he was asked about the secret of that ministry success, he said this, God has had all there is of me. There have been greater men, uh, there have been men with greater brains, even with greater opportunities. But from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and called a vision of what Jesus could do, I made up my mind that God should have all there is of William Booth. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army, it's because God has all the adoration of my heart. All the power of my will, all the influence of my life. Here's the secret to spiritual growth making a commitment in every area of my life, every day. Lord, I'm giving you more, more of my time more of my my talents, more of my gifts, more of my witness, more of me until there comes that day when he has all of you and the image of Jesus is clear. May it be so. Amen.